Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Sometimes it seems like new species are just lurking around the corner. So what's going on with these biologists? Classifying species isn't as simple as it seems, and that's why scientists keep finding fantastic new and unusual different types of animals and classifying them as species. We find out about giraffes and an unusual type of crab. Plus, why bats have something in common with adorably cute cats. There are many things in life that we take for granted. The coming and going of the seasons, the rising of the sun in the morning and the setting in the evening. And for zoologists studying the great animals that are found across the African continent, giraffes were just one of those constants. One species, simple to understand and to protect, but that world has been overturned. Yes, the sun may still rise and set and the seasons come and go, but giraffes are not one species. Zoologists have studied and found in a recent journal article published in Current Biology on September 8th. Researchers from the Schneckenberg Biodiversity Climate Research Centre and the Goethe University in Germany have discovered that giraffes are actually four different and unique species. Now, to, before we get into this discussion and about the science used and the genetic analysis used to identify and prove why these are four species, we have to take a step back and say, what is a species? I mean, a giraffe's a giraffe. When you think about dogs, for example, there are many different types and breeds of dogs. Uh, and then if you compare, say, a dog to a wolf, and this type of different classification system is based around a strict set of rules. And this rules uh, in terms of biological classification and has eight major taxonomic ranks. These are basically a ranking system that we use to help classify and understand exactly what we're looking at so that we're clear. It sort of starts all the way up at life and then goes down from there because obviously there are things in our world that aren't alive, so that, that makes it one distinction. The next is domain, then through kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, then to genus, and finally to species. Generally, the definition for species is pretty simply put as the largest group of organisms in which two individuals are capable of reproducing fertile offspring using a generally sexual reproduction. Now, sometimes species are very, very closely related. So take, for example, a species complex where there's a group of closely related species that are very, very similar in appearance to the point where the boundary between them is quite, isn't quite clear. Uh, and then we use things such as DNA, morphology, or ecological niche to differentiate them. So if a species has a specific locally adapted trait, then you may further divide that subspecies into a if infraspecific or location-specific taxonomy. And this is often quite done such in plant varieties and so on. But generally, we all gather up all the species uh, that have this look like they have the same ancestor, and we place them in one genus. Uh, so that's the level above species. And we then compare based on DNA sequences as well as physical attributes. And that's how you sort of end up with a, a grouping of species together to be in a genus. And then above the genus, the family. For example, in boa constrictors, the snake. Boa constrictor is just one of the four in the boa genus, right? Um, so then that's how we use this basically the subcategorization. And this applies to everything across the world. <laughs> all the way from bacterial plants and animals all the way up. And that's basically the system of taxonomy that we use to identify types of animals. If this sounds confusing, don't worry. There's been a lot of debate over what actually makes a species all the way back 
dating from the first earliest adoption. Charles Darwin himself, in the origin of the species, wrote, no one has defined satisfactorily, uh, even amongst all naturalists, about what exactly they mean. Uh, he even addresses it further in his book, Descent of Man, as well. And also, this can often lead to a different debate in philosophical approach, right? So often, when you come up with potentially what might be a second species, there's a tendency amongst biologists to either group them together in a process called lumping or split them apart into new taxons called, and that process called splitting. And depending on their preference, scientists can lean between different methods. And generally, the problem is even compounded further when we, work, we might come up with a definition for species that works really, really well for, like, say, birds or plants or animals, but that doesn't work for bacteria at all, and that just leads to confusion. Um, so it's not necessarily one with a hard, fast answer, but more of a spectrum-type approach. So now, coming back to giraffes, the scientists from Senckenberg Biodiversity and Climate Research Centre in Goethe University were studying things such as the coat pattern and the morphological uh, differences between the species. But because in such megafauna, there's not many of them, it's kind of hard to build up a big database. And they tend to then be overlooked by scientists. And about five years ago, Julian Fennessy of the Giraffe Conservation Foundation in Namibia approached the university researchers to try and do genetic testing, basically, of the different types of giraffes that they've seen. They wanted to know, basically, how similar all the different species of giraffes that they're seeing across the entire continent of Africa were to each other. Uh, because when they've tried to move giraffes from one area to another, they found that it often wasn't quite working, and they'd inadvertently mixed different species well, what seemed to be different subspecies of giraffe, and it wasn't—they weren't working out quite as well. And they really just wanted to know how do we protect the giraffes and make sure that when we're trying to conserve them, the species, would we put them in the best spot? So, the university researchers uh, took DNA samples and skin biopsies from about 190 giraffes from all over different regions of Africa, including in regions of where there's been a lot of uh, potentially civil unrest or difficulties in conservation. And this included extensive sampling of the previously recognised nine different sub-branches or subspecies of giraffes. Now, when they analysed the DNA of this, what they actually found is that there are really four separate, distinct versions of giraffes when you get down to the genetics of it. The four species then are the southern giraffe, the Maasai giraffe, the reticulated giraffe, and the northern giraffe which includes uh, the uh, Nubian giraffe and a bunch of other areas from the South Sudan, Ethiopia region. Now, whilst they are analysing the amount of gene flow and transition between the species, uh, they are unique, effectively unique genetic species and unique from the test as well of the reproduction between the, the, the species limits. So they pass the qualification tests easily for the classification of as a new species which means there are four, four different types of giraffes, and that explains why the conservationists were having such trouble with them when they moved one species of giraffe in with the other, thinking it was the same thing. Now, it just might seem like an all kind of silly theoretical discussion about giraffes, but it has a really, really big impact on conservation because when a conservation works is we classify something as endangered when it reaches below a threshold number. And that's the approach we take to conservation. We, we classify animals, we break them down to the species, and then if we see something is below a certain number, we say, oh, that's endangered, or that's critically endangered, and so on and so forth. And that helps target and focus our conservation efforts. 
But if we'd been all treating all these giraffes as just one type, now then we're easily passing, you know, potentially some of the endangered species lists. But that's not true because some of the species, some of the four, actually are more endangered than others. For example, the northern giraffe, there's less than 4,750 individual northern giraffes in the wild. And the reticulated giraffe, there's only about 8,000, which makes them some of the most endangered large mammals in the entire world. And so therefore, and this is not surprising because uh, the conservation groups, such as the International Union for Conservation of Nature and Natural Resources, has just resubmitted its rankings, including taking to the fact that the rapid decline of giraffes overall, and now even more so in some particular species of giraffe. So animals can seem to be quite simple at first glance, but they're obviously often much more complex and interesting than we give them credit for. And it's not until we take a good hard look at them, we can actually realise some interesting things about them. And that's important if we want to protect them and make sure they're there for generations to come. Bats are one of those creatures that, on first glance, are absolutely terrifying. Creatures that hunt in the night, make really eerie noises and lurk in the corners of our imagination as terrifying monsters. You need to look no further than vampires or Batman to see where we have this primal fear almost of bats. But in reality, bats are not only very, very intelligent and clever, but they're also adorable. Now, researchers from the Krager School of Arts and Sciences Department in Psychology and Brain Sciences at John Hopkins University have been studying the adorableness of bats, but not quite in the way you think. So bats use sonar, effectively, a bit like dolphins, uh, to do echolocation. This helps them find their prey, even though, as the colloquial saying goes, they may be blind to visible light. And in the dark, you don't really need eyes, so hey, those echolocation and sonar abilities are super handy. Now, basically what they do with echolocation is they emit a sound and then they listen for the echo. And by listening for that echo, they're able to detect and track and then catch prey, even when you can't see it. And that's the principle of echolocation, which we use for everything from submarines to your parking pilot sensors in your car that beep when you're getting close to an object. They all use the same principle. And that is in and of itself really amazing. But that's not what these researchers were actually studying. What they were looking for was a really, really cute thing that bats actually do when they're doing echolocation. By putting high-speed cameras monitoring these bats as they basically hunted and tried to catch a piece of prey, they noticed that when they're perched, they actually do this really, really subtle head tilt. They do it about in a second, where they just, you know, tilt their head to the side and then back up again, much in the same way as those adorable cats do in all those cat videos and pictures you're watching on the internet right now. They do exactly the same thing, and that led them to question, what on earth are they trying to do? Are they trying to lull their prey into, sus into a submission by cuting it to death? That's not quite the case. As they're tilting their head, they're also really, really subtly adjusting their ears. They're extending them and contracting them in really, really rapid movements that are actually imperceptible to the naked eye. 
Uh, it just happens too fast. And these micro adjustments of the ears is actually really important because it is synced with the emission of the sound of which they're actually trying to use as their, their locating ping. And by syncing these two things together, they can track the subtlest of movements in their prey creature. And you know, when humans look at it, we, we just ignore that as like a kind of acute behavior. We never really thought about the importance of the micro-tuning of these listening arrays, which are their ears, and how it helps them actually catch their food. And the reason why no one's really actually thought about it this much is that generally when we're observing bats, we just do it with a you know fixed head position. We just make no real assumptions. But in the natural, real world, that's not how they behave. They, they're not restrained uh, when we're trying to study them in like minute detail. They're actually active and alive. And it's kind of similar to an, the movement is to an alert, a cat on alert, and also the head tilt of an owl trying to localize with its eyes the prey. So it's important that we study and get a feel on why animals behave certain ways. And it just goes to show that there's more to bats than meets the eye. And in this case, the ears. are lurking in places that you least expect them, like right under your nose, such in the cases we just found is of giraffes, where all the giraffes are actually are four different species, not just one big mess. And nothing has been more confusing than researchers in three Australian universities, University of New South Wales, the Australian Museum, and also the Sun Yat-sen University in China and National Chung University in Taiwan, who've discovered just from a common pet store, a stock crap uh, that, you know, just gets sold and sent, given out to scientists and a bunch of other people, including pet owners, just to, you know, have as a nice crab pet. But it turns out, by actually looking quite closely at it, that's not only a new species of crab, but an entirely new genus of crab. That's a level above the species that we spoke about before. And so when the scientists examined just one of these crabs in these in the ornamental market, they found it one that was really, really unusual. It had a strange carapace, uh, and it also had a gonopod, which is a reproductive organ that used to actually be a swimming appendage. And they'd also saw so it had really, really long and slender legs. I actually analysed the molecular analysis, and they showed that it was very, very unique and nothing like they'd ever seen before. So they went actually back to the dealer where they bought this originally crab from uh and the and to ask where where on earth did you find this crab this crab is amazing and it's in, actually from an area in northern guangdong in southern china um where it lives in the limestone hill streams and basically it, it's a, a crab that lives on the limestone that's extracted out of the, the, the hill streams themselves and it's really really unique and unusual habitat so, which is why it's developed these long slender legs, because it has to move around these streams that only exist for weeks at a time before they move on somewhere else. So because this water source is so drastically moving, these crabs have to move pretty fast too, hence the long legs. 
And the carapace of the crab is really a maroon and dark brown, obviously helping it to blend in in its strange environment. And the claws are actually reddish and purplish. Uh, so it looks absolutely stunning. And that's why it's so popular in the ornamental market. But it's a crab that hadn't really been analysed by biologists at all before. And it's only really something that most people have done something with and recognised as a unique species now that it's starting to get out there on the market. So it's a great collaboration between researchers to actually classify and identify this entirely new genus, not just species, but genus of crabs, uh, based on just what they found in a pet store. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Helping understand all the different species of giraffes with genetics, finding out why bats are so cute and deadly at hunting, as well as finding crabs that are actually new species. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.